people rub off on you. I don't know if you, you've ever found yourself doing things and you, you realize you're doing something. I just did something that Jonathan rubbed off on me. Um, you know, I don't know if you ever watch, if you know Jonathan, if you ever watch him when he kind of gets this little excited, he kind of puts his tongue out just a little bit. Kind of like this. <laughs> you know, I spent a year with him up in Oakdale and, and, uh, at the last church where he's now the youth, youth leader there and, and, you know, I find myself doing this little tongue thing from time to time. <laughs> oh man, what is that? But, we do, we tend to rub off on each other. We pick up other habits and other things that people do. Should make us think a little bit. Who are we hanging out with and spending a lot of time with? Which habits are we picking up? Which things are we doing from other people? Might need to look at our lives a little bit. You know, it is a day of celebration. If we get into the message, uh, you know, all these things going on. There's another one that I'm excited about this morning. Ron and Tina Cox are is their first morning over in Kids Zone, and so they've uh, they've stepped up and felt God leading them to be um, teaching over our little ones, and they're just so excited. This uh, couple is um, just on fire. Uh, for the things of God. They're in my cell group and I'm blessed to have them there. Um, we have a, a great time and a lot of fun. Um, there is never a shortage of words being spoken in our, in our cell group. Um, but, you know, they're exciting because they're just stepping out into new things that God has for them. And I'm going to, you know, just share, tell on them. They can get the CD and, and hear it. In our last cell, they shared about a couple of stories um, just about a week and a half ago. They were driving up the mountain, and they just get by Lake Williams, and they and they drive by, and they saw this guy pushing his bicycle up um, Highway 38 towards Onyx Summit, and he had a sign or a shirt on that said uh, "Stop Torture," and so it kind of stood out to her. And so they turned back around because he's pushing his bike, and he's already past Lake Williams, so there's not much to push your bike to. So they turn around and go up there and, and begin a conversation. Where are you going? Well, I'm. I'm new to the area and I'm homeless. I lost my home. I've, I don't have any money. And I'm, I'm going to... I heard there's a lot of jobs and things in Las Vegas. Well, two things stood out to them. One, Las Vegas isn't the best of places to go. Two, he's going the wrong direction. So, but, you know, he was moving and going somewhere. And, and Ron and Tina, you know, they're just establishing up here. They're feeling the crunch like a lot of us financially. And so they began to pray for him, and, and, and through conversation, they found out he had some family in Washington, D.C. And they felt the unction of the Lord saying, would, do you, would you want to go back to Washington, D.C., where your family is? That would be great, but there's no way I could afford to go there. And they says, is Greyhound okay with you? And they immediately put him in their car, drove all the way back down the mountain to the Greyhound bus station, put him on a bus, and sent him to Washington, D.C. That's putting your faith, right? Right? Putting your faith where your heart is, where your mouth is. That's what God is wanting to see. It's really exciting. They had another one. They almost adopted a young, young lady. Things happen at Walmart and gas stations for this couple all the time. You know, I guess the, you know, they're just always giving and, and praying for people in the middle. They have an 11-year-old girl, Heather, who just you know, he says, Oh, pull over. I think we should pray for them. And you know, they're, just, they're just being moved by the Spirit of God. They're uh, challenging to me, convicting. We need to begin to be open to the things that God wants us to do. And, and, uh, because God, God hasn't stopped moving. He really does want to move and He wants to use us. Amen? So I'm excited about people beginning to find their, uh, their callings, their ministry stepping up. I've been discipling Ron for, for about four months and we've already gotten him through the first two parts of the training track. They're going to be doing the... the uh, Encounter God weekend, and then we'll take them right through Discovery, and they're excited about becoming members here at, at Big Bear Christian Center and along the body of Christ here. And that's where we are. We are, we are part of the body of Christ um, with a special purpose and calling, and that's why God calls us here. And that's the work I'm excited about. Amen. Well, well I, have, I have lots of time this morning. Praise the Lord. Hopefully, I won't take too much over our time, but I want to read Leviticus t- chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. In the NIV it says, 
consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth that's in it. God, we pray that You would come this morning and open up our hearts, as Pastor Jeff even said, help our ears to be open, help our hearts to be open this morning. God, I pray that You would speak to us and challenge us. Father, we thank You for Your grace, Your mercy, and Your love. But God, also this morning, we thank You for Your encouragement your chastisement, and your rebuke. God, we thank You for all of You, for all that You have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Talking about personality traits, I am and, and, and have always been up to this point a golden retriever. Golden retriever in the colors, it's a green. It's the uh, loyal, amiable, we're kind of we're soft, Gentle people. Shannon is also a golden retriever, so we never get anything done. <laughs> um, but you know, but I'm finding over time that some of my other personality traits are higher. Uh, about ten or twelve years ago, the first time I, I did a personality analysis, I was golden retriever, otter, beaver, lion. <coughs> And so that was, I was a gentle, fun, precise leader. <laughs> Josh will be proud of me because my second now is Lion. I don't know how that's happened, but I've, I've been noticing in my life over the past year or two, I, I, I'm feeling really bad about how strong I am. So you can tell that I'm still a golden retriever. I'm, I'm getting strong and feeling bad about it. We, we, we did the motiv motivational gifts and my strongest in that, which was, was also surprising until I stepped back and saw what God has been doing in me. My strongest motivational gift right now is an exhorter. And that is also not a golden retriever thing. So I'm, I'm finding that I'm at odds with myself all the time. This morning that gift is going to come forward. I'm going to exhort us. I'm telling us now because I want you to be ready and be prepared. But before, but before we get into the Word, we need to know that God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. Everything that's said from uh, this position, from a leadership standpoint, even if it seems harsh, is coming from the Word of God, which from the God of love and mercy and grace. And I love my kids. I wish I had as much grace and love and mercy on my kids as God has for us, but I love them, and yet at times, I need to be sharp with them. I found Matthew's uh, strengths in highest, and, and it really was no surprise, is he is... Off, he is very high in his otter and yellow, which means he is just a party waiting to happen. <laughs> Matthew is is got a million words. He loves to talk. If you spend any time with him, you know that. You get tired. He just wants to talk. He wants to be with people. And his really low point is his beaver, which means he's not organized. He doesn't follow through. He's not real clean. And he's not real detailed. And so... You know, boy, he's so loving and so great, but at times I really need to get on him. I need to help him to overcome some of his things, so at times I need to be stern with him. At times it will look harsh, and because I'm a natural dad, at times it is too harsh, probably. But I can't just say, oh, I love you and grace, and how go out and have fun, Matthew. Always go out and have fun, because that personality bent unchecked will lead him down the wrong paths. He'll end up being friends with the wrong people because it's all about fun and relationships. So God has put me in His life to help balance him and to help make sure that he's building up walls and make sure that he gets his job. If I don't teach him how to work, he'll never hold down a job. Someday he may, might want to eat. <laughs> 
And so that's, that's my job. And, and God is the God of all personalities. Right. You know, this is amazing. You talk about balance. You know, we go off the chart high and this high and that. God is the God of every personality. The reason that Shannon and I can't actually be married is because though she's golden retriever, she is very balanced. And so she has no problem being a lion to me. She has no problem being a beaver and being organized. She's very balanced, just a little bit higher in her golden retriever. And, and that is God. God is, a very, is, is perfectly balanced. That means at any time, He can be stern and strict like the lion. And He is a God of fun. You know, God is absolutely fun. You know how I know He's fun? He created platypuses. <laughs> I mean, you know, that is just somebody, that's, 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 a, that's an otter thing to do, going, let's just confuse them. Let's kind of let them, you know, lay, let them be a warm-blooded furry animal, lay eggs and do, I mean, goodness gracious. What did, what did Darwin do with platypi anyways, you know? But God is perfectly balanced. He is everything. At times, he, He's so organized. He's the beaver. You know, you know that's why we can all love God. He's not just some, you know, but he's the beaver because he created the world and put it in perfect order. You know, an otter would have created the world, it would have been really fun, it would have blown up in about a week. You know, it was too close to the sun. Hey, let's make it like move back and forth really close to the sun and then fall away. It'll be fun. God did it all. And he's relational and he's caring. He's the golden retriever. And today He wants to come and, and He wants to be all these things to us at the same time. Receive the Word of God this morning. And, and this Word is coming from musings that are going on in my own life and in my own head. So it's not something that I, I'm coming and saying, you, I'm saying, we, what's going on? Where are we at as a church? You know, we as a nation... And it's an interesting time to talk about we as a nation because our nation is in a very different, different time. Um, but in general, we as a nation, we could say things like, you know, we as a nation, we lead the way. We set an example so much in the world. We help our own. We help other nations. We want to often be, you know, peacemakers. We could say we as, we as a people, we, we have uh, overcome a lot of difficulties and we have risen from the ashes, from difficulties, from starting from scratch and we become a, f- a fluent nation. As a nation, we can say these things and I think most of us are proud to live here. Um, when I was in the, not in the Olympics, but when I was at the Olympics, I, I could never be in the Olympics except maybe the, I would be the cart in the luge and they would ride me down or something because I, I move real fast if I'm sliding. But, um, but when I was at the Olympics in 1994, um, it was really interesting. I was in Norway and we were there to do an outreach with YWAM. And the first night was, the day we were there was, you know, after a ton of travel, we were really tired. And the leader of the outreach came up and said, hey, I know you guys just got here. You want to just take the day off? You want to go see an event? And we weren't going to get to see any events. We were out there to witness and share Jesus. He says, do you want to go to one of the events? And we said, yeah, we don't care which one. I mean, we're here. And so we get to go and we say, he's taking us to hockey. Great. We're going to go see hockey. Who cares who's playing? You know, I don't play hockey. I don't care. We get there. We get, finally get in. And it was USA playing Canada hockey. Right? And so what a great night. I mean, it would have been fun to watch, you know, Turkey playing Russia. Who cares? But we were there and it was USA playing Canada. And we're in this big arena and we're sitting watching. It's fun. And all of a sudden, the pride of your country began to rise up. And I said, I am from the USA. And there was a guy behind us who was from Canada. It was a, he was a nice guy, but he had like a six-foot, eight-foot flag, a Canadian flag and with a huge pole. And he was just waving this thing all around us. And he was just screaming. He was so for Canada. And we're like, oh, this is, this is horrible. He's right there with his flag. So one of the guys took a little tiny flag this big and he gets the little USA flag and he's waving it. And we go up to the guy from Canada and we go, no! You know? Because it was something up there about, you know, I'm from the USA and there was people, you know, other people from the United States who were there in Norway. You know, immediately you're like connected to them because there's this national thing. 
We know our country. We can say certain things. And yes, we're not doing everything, far from doing everything well as a nation, but there's these things we'll say, yes, we're doing it. How about we as a Christian people? Are we setting the example of what Christianity should be? Do we look at the Bible and say, what is a Christian? And set the example. Or have we put the flag in front of the Bible and read the Bible through our flag? Have we become cultural Christians that base more of a filter through our understanding of our own culture applying to the Word of God. And what do I mean? Shannon and I, we enjoy taking walks. We walk three or four times a week, a couple miles to you know, just get out and pray and, and get some exercise and lose some weight, which I really need to do more of that. And sometimes when we're walking, we just end up you know, talking and praying and and it tends to be too serious, which is kind of a bummer, but that's probably both of our bents. But we walk around and we begin to question, why, why doesn't the church look like it looks like in the Bible? Because we spent three years on the mission field, we said, why doesn't the church look like it looked in Latin America? There, was, there seemed to be more of a passion, a sincerity and a commitment to the things of God in the New Testament church and in some foreign countries. We get so busy and consumed on ourselves. We get so busy and consumed working hard to provide and to have things or to portray a certain image. Are we falling into a trap where we've become more cultural than we are Christian? Are we living more based on our own beliefs compared to what the Bible says? Do we know what the Word says? Do we take the Word and apply it to ourselves? I know at times we do. Don't, don't, don't feel condemned in this message like, oh, there's no hope and I'm bad. I know that there's things that we do well. But today's message isn't about encouraging you. Today's message is to stir us up. It's not to tell you that you're doing anything wrong, but it's to encourage us to begin to look at ourselves and say, God, how do you want me to live? Go to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts was written by Luke. Between the book of Luke and Acts, I believe that there is more information by the one author, Luke, than anyone else, even including Paul who wrote more books. But there's more words and more pages between Luke and Acts. Focusing on the things that Jesus taught, the things that He did. In the, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, He says, The former account I made... O Theophilus, which Theophilus, just so you know, means either loved by God or lover of God. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which He was taken up, after He through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus came down to describe the kingdom of God and to say that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is something we live in on a day-to-day -day basis as Christians if we're plugged into Jesus. It's having a spiritual mindset. It's having the gifts of the Spirit, having the things that are available to believers only at hand, living in a world though that we live here. We're separated from the rest of the world. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus came down to bring, usher in the kingdom of God. 
He came down to set us free from sin, but He spent a lot of time teaching and talking and setting an example and giving us commands. And Luke is bringing that up. He says, He taught in, in the book of Luke, the author says, he, he told him all that Jesus began to both do and to teach. Jesus was concerned about what we learned. Jesus was concerned about what we know. Not just about what we do. What we do is going to be based on what we know. And if we don't know much, we'll do whatever. If I go to work on a car, but I don't know what to do, I'm going to mess it up. I won't be faithful. I won't be a good mechanic. But I believe our culture is a culture of feelings based on whatever. Culture is often a believe what you want to believe and it's being forced upon us. For many, many years, other creeds, other beliefs are being forced upon us that we have to accept. Article in the Sun-Telegram, I believe yesterday, said simply that the majority of people now accept homosexuality. Did anyone see that article? I did. Okay. They said the, ma the majority of people, now over 50%, now accept homosexuality. I had, I had two problems with that. I thought it's just not true because they, they, they didn't go into the Bible Belt. They didn't go into the Midwest. They didn't. But here, here, here's the other side why they think that the majority of people did. Do accept that as a creed, as a lifestyle, as an okay behavior system. Because for the last 10 to 15 years, we've been told if we don't, we'll be arrested. We've been told that if we don't, that we're outcasts. We've been told that if we don't, we're, we're wrong and we're mean and we're mean-spirited. And so is it any surprise that we do? It's kind of logical. I read a quote yesterday by somebody from... Let me give you... I changed the setup of my notes this morning. That was a mistake. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said this, These are the days when the Christian is expected to praise every creed except his own. That's right. These are the days when a Christian is expected to praise every creed except his own. Right. Like, wow, that was written in 1928. Wow. <laughs> it's been going slowly ever since. And here's the thing, if that started, and before that I'm sure, if that was written in 1928, and here we're in 2010, and that's been happening for the last uh, 82 years, no wonder we're confused as Christians. No wonder we've gotten away from biblical Christianity so far. We've been living in a culture that slowly has been pushing us back saying, well, that's mean and you can't think that way. We need to think the way the Bible teaches us. We need to have biblical Christianity based on the Bible, not based on our own beliefs. There was somebody that I, that I knew and, and really enjoyed the company and loved God and even moved in the things of the Spirit. I just met a few years ago who doesn't believe in hell. Loves God. I totally believe is saved, but just doesn't believe in hell. Basically because hell is so yucky. Miss hell's bad. And why would God create hell? And... You know, I mean, and I could go there, but man, hell, hell is hell. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier and nicer to say there is no hell. The problem is that the Bible teaches clearly and plainly that there's a hell. And the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus talks more about hell than He does about heaven. So how does somebody who has been saved for a long time, who's attended church faithfully, been in Bible studies, believe that? Because more is based on the belief and the emotions than it is on what the Bible says. 
Now, we can say, oh my goodness, about that. But what if we brought it home to some of the things that we struggle with? It would be really easy for a lot of people to come to any one of us and say, you do that? What about the Bible? I don't want to pick on anything. But but I'm going to pick on something that, that God has been working in me just a tiny bit. I think for the next few weeks we're going to be even talking about some of these obscure teachings that, that, that are obscure now, but they're not obscure in the Bible. But things that maybe as a culture that we've walked away from, one of them is just simply this, and it, it's fasting. Fasting is not a practice of the Christian church. Not in general. Most people don't fast regularly. Most people, I don't believe, fast at all. Not, not, not a biblical fast. I'm saying there's a lot of great fasts that God might call you to. But whenever you do look at it in the Bible, there's, it's always about food in the Bible, just in case you don't notice that. You know, I'm going to fast from sin for seven days. <laughs> You know, fasting is something that, that for whatever reason, has just it's what spiritual people do. It's what pastors do. Jesus said, when He was talking to His disciples, He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Sometimes Shannon will text me or call me, and she'll say, when you come home from work, Will you go to the store, pick up some milk and some bread? She says that because there is an assumption that I'm coming home. When you come home, she assumes that I'm going to. Why does she assume that? Is because every night I come home. I don't stay out all night long. And so it's easy for her to say, when you come home. She doesn't say, if you decide to come home, will you pick up such and such? Now, now, there is those times you might say that. Hey, if you go to town, will you? But when you say if to somebody, you know they might not do it. There's no assumption there. You're kind of going if. It's when. And Jesus said, when you pray. Why? He assumes we're going to pray. We should be praying. He knows that we're going to pray. Right after that, he says, when you fast. Oh, you mean Jesus actually assumed that I was going to fast? How dare he? He assumes we will. I was the world's worst faster. I have broken more fasts than I have ever completed by a huge number. And I don't, I don't mean broken by, I'm done with it now, I'm going to break it the nice way. I'm talking halfway through my one day fast. <laughs> I need a cheeseburger! <laughs> I'll fast next week. I can't fast this week, there's a birthday party! <laughs> and they're going to serve my favorite food! And I just give in. I couldn't finish. In Oakdale, Pastor Eric fasts all the time. Yeah, I look at Jonathan because I don't know if he ever gets convicted about it, but man, Eric is, I mean, 40 day fasts. Wow. You know, they just, he and his wife, and she's, she's actually probably ahead of me as the world's worst faster. She, to her own, she, she does not like to fast. They just completed a 21 day juice only fast. So when we were there, I was under, under conviction all the time. And the pastor's fasting, I probably should do the same thing. <laughs> nope! <laughs> but I began to try. And I began to push into it. Not because I wanted to you know, just do something for God, but, be, but because I began to get the realization and understanding that, that something happens when I fast that doesn't when I don't. That God assumed I would, and so there's got to be a benefit to it. And so, you know, 
praise God, I'm getting over it. When I was there, Shannon and I did a 40-day fast. Just the Daniel fast. For some of you, that's like eating normal, so it's not a big deal. You know, fruits and vegetables and, you know, no, no sugars and no white flowers and no meat and things. You know, just kind of, a, kind of a vegetarian thing for 40 days. That was so hard because I tell you, I love my bread. I love my, wheat, my, my meat and, and sugar. I mean, I'm just, I'm addicted. So I pressed through. Because it's biblical. Jesus said, when you fast. But we don't... It's not something we practice too much. We've kind of put that and says, oh, that's, that's a nice chapter. There's a lot of great chapters in the Bible. Aren't there? In fact, somehow we can even as Christians... Though we may not fast, some will come and say, I'm really struggling with a sin. And we'll say, you know, you should fast. God's really going to touch you when you fast. And inside you're going, please don't ask me if I fast. Please don't ask me what your experience is. Because we're going to say, well, I heard that it's really good. Titus 2. Titus 2. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people. Zealous for good works. The grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men, teaching us to, not, to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, live soberly, righteously, and godly. I want to touch on just a few of those words in there. And see how that goes. Because whenever you have a message, so many messages in the church, and my bent is to, to be strong, kind of the exhorter preacher guy. We live, I believe as Christians, right on this blade, if you can see this on the music stand, real thin area. We live on a, on a, on a real thin ledge. Over here being grace, and over here being the law and works. And you could you come to church on a weekly basis, depending on the church you, you go to, you hear a lot of this message. You need to do better. You need to do more. This is what's wrong. It's balanced by the grace of God. It has to be. If we fall only over here, then all we're going to become is modern day Judaizers. We're just going to be all about doing in law. Now, some of you go, great, that's what I want it to be. Some of your personalities are just give me a list of things to do and I want to go for it and accomplish it. Settle down, beavers. <laughs> because we know we can't, but we'll spend our life trying to do it. But the other side of this is, oh, no matter what I do, God's just full of grace and He's just going to forgive me. And I don't have to do anything for God ever. And I don't have to then to keep going that way. And I don't have to change anything because that's difficult and that's conflict and everything else. And we end up grace slobs. We end up with what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Cheap grace, according to Bonhoeffer, is this, is the grace we bestow on ourselves, the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Mm -hmm. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, 
the door at which a man must knock. It is costly because it costs a man his life and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. There is grace, but we've cheapened grace. So too often, we cheapen grace and make it too easy. We don't even have to ask for grace anymore. We just think it's always there and it covers us no matter what our heart says. No matter whether we're repentant or not. You know, this just meddles with me. It says, you know, this isn't out of the Bible, but I love this quote. The preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. That's cheap grace. Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Repentance is key. So we live on this on this blade law and grace. We need to ha- we need to be as Christians and become mature Christians learn how to balance these things. In the re- reading of this scripture in Titus listen to the wording. Grace that brings salvation appeared to men. That example of Jesus dying on the cross for our forgiveness, which is grace, teaches us something. That example teaches us that denying ungodliness, worldly lusts... So the first action word in there for us is deny. It's not a do something physical. It's a not do. It's a deny of yourself. Deny ungodliness. Deny worldly lusts. Then the next verb says, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. So the next verb is not go out and do something for God, but it's a state of being word. Live in a certain manner. Deny the world and live. So he's laying it out for us very well. It's not we can't just go out and do something for God and please him. But we need to be something for God. We need to deny the world and be something for God. Live for him. How are we going to do that? That is really difficult because all around us we're tempted we're drawn away. And in this, in this culture, we're drawn away to things that aren't sin that become sin. In this culture, we're drawn away by things that aren't sin that become sin. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a moment in case you're not, you didn't get that. How do we do that? We look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then He reminds us, we're looking for it. We're looking for Him to come again. Don't forget, He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed. So as we deny the world, the second part is that He's redeemed us from it anyways. He set us free. Purify for Himself His own special people. That's us who are zealous for good works. We need to become zealous for good works. We need to begin to live soberly and righteously in this perverse generation. And then he tells the reader, who is Titus, who is me, who is you, speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So this morning as I come and preach to all of us, as believers, I'm commanded to rebuke and exhort us with all authority. What authority? God. God's authority. And I like this part because no one gets to despise me for doing it. 
The Bible says you can't go home and despise me. See, these are difficult messages. They're difficult because they meddle with us. And I, I love to encourage, and, and the truth is I believe we can do all these things in Christ. And I, I look out and I see wonderful men and women of God. But let's not be comfortable in status quo. Let's press on. Let's move forward. We've been redeemed. We need to consecrate ourselves. Be holy because He is holy. How are we going to do this? I believe truly we need to begin to take the filters off, begin to get into the Word of God, and let the Word of God get into us. We need to get a biblical understanding of the way we're supposed to live and apply the Bible to our circumstances rather than apply our circumstances to the Bible. It's what the Truth Project's called having a biblical worldview. We've added a biblical spiritual worldview. We look at things, we should look at things through the filter of the Word of God. And too often we do the other. We look at the Word of God through the filter of the things surrounding us. I want to meddle with us a little bit. Not that I haven't already been doing that. I believe I'm looking for 1 Timothy 6. I'll find out in just a moment. Yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 6. First part is about slaves honoring your masters. And, and you know, personally, what, I, what I've always done when I would see that is I would just put in employees and employers. It really can be helpful. First couple of cha- verses in chapter six talks about that, but in verse in chapter verse three it starts picking up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this through. It says, "If anyone teaches otherwise, and that's to to not be under your 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 bosses and things, and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ." So that's that's the theme we're picking up on: not consenting to the words of Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. So, so stop there. If, if we're going to, whatever situation we're in, if we're not going to be in accord with the Word of God, wholesome words, and the doctrine which accords or agrees with godliness, godly doctrine, and doctrine is just simply teaching. That's what the, the word in, in, in the New Testament is, is just teaching. The teachings of godliness, then he is proud, knowing nothing. He's obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these things, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which He will manifest in His own time. He was blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, 
whom no man has seen, to whom be honor and everlasting power. These words don't say don't be rich. They don't say don't have money, but it says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Be careful. Be careful. Watch ourselves. And we can say that about so many things. Those who desire can fall into temptation and snare. Watch your heart. Watch our desires. Make it always be lining up with the Bible. And don't try to, to put your filter over this Word of God and justify what you want. I do that. Like going back to the fasting, I justify breaking my fast because I'm just too busy. I want to justify it. I want to be faithful to things that God calls me for. And when I fall short, which I will, His grace is there. He never condemns me. But He picks me up. But if I go into this thing going, His grace is going to cover, I know I'm going to fall short. A couple of years ago, Jonathan stopped drinking sodas. I don't know if... Did you start again yet? I met, he, he made a conscious decision to start because I remember when he says, I'm going to start drinking soda again. But, but the day that he stopped drinking soda... He says, I, I think I'm going to try to stop stop drinking soda. And a good friend of ours, Steve Rocher, is about this big with an attitude, this big, <laughs> strong guy, lion of lions, said, if you say try, you'll fail. If you say try to stop, he says, you failed already. And so Jonathan began to say, I'm, I'm not drinking soda anymore. And he just, he was done. He committed. He just was done. If we go into it going, you know, I'm probably going to fail, but God's grace is going to catch me. No, we go in with commitment and saying, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. When, we've, when we fail, and sometimes we will, His grace will catch us. But don't aim for the net. <laughs> I'm on the trapeze looking at the net because I know it's going to catch me. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I need to reach and go. But His grace is there for me because I can't keep the law by myself. I can't. We shouldn't even try to, to just keep the law. I just need press into God and I live soberly, live righteously. Press into God. Press into His Word. Commanded in Timothy and Titus, Timothy 4.16, I'm just going to read a few scriptures. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch what you teach. Your doctrine is your teaching. How can you watch what you teach unless you're learning it? 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. People leave churches that preach the truth because the truth hurts. I see Jack Nicholson looking down at Tom Cruise. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. The truth is hard. The truth is the Gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us apart from the world. We shouldn't look anything like them. The truth is hard. Christianity is difficult. Some people say that Christianity, they, they, you know, it's so difficult. They've tried. They say, "Oh, it's just not enough. It doesn't have everything it promised. It doesn't have the truth in it." Again, G.K. Chesterton, who's a writer in the early 1900s, said, "Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It hasn't been tried and found lacking. It has been found difficult and untried." Christianity has been found difficult and untried. We try and we back off and say, oh, that's so hard. Christianity just doesn't have what it promised me. No, we found it difficult and we stopped trying. But we begin to press in from glory to glory. We begin to press in and strain every nerve. Make every effort, it says. 
the Word challenges us. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, Jude says, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Because certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. They're ungodly. And they turn the grace of our Lord God into lewdness and to deny our only Lord and God, Jesus Christ. We need to get sound doctrine. We need to hold firmly to it. Be unwavering. And let the Word of God be the standard and not our emotions. And not our culture. Our culture isn't wrong. But if it overcomes us, if it overwhelms us, if it leads us off the path, then it becomes wrong. We need to have sound doctrine. We need to get into the Word and let the Word get into us. If this is the only time you, you get sound preaching and teaching and the Word of God, then you'll never survive. It's not enough. Being involved in a cell group and coming to celebration is not enough. It's what's supposed to happen in life in week to week, day to day, that you're encouraging one another to be in the Word of God. It's principles that we're aiming to live personally and help us to live corporately that we're aiming for. Helping us to get into groups of people that we feel... It doesn't even matter if we feel comfortable. I was going to say if we feel comfortable enough. See? Culture comes right in. I was going to say, so we feel comfortable enough to share and be open so we can challenge one another. I don't actually think Jesus said... Find somebody you feel comfortable with and confess your sins to them. We need to be confessing our sins, exhorting one another without judgment, not be finger-waggers at people. We need to come alongside and say, I see a weakness in you. Brother, if somebody is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, the Word says, without judgment, lest you also be tempted. So it's not about becoming the righteous, righteousness police, but it's about coming along one another and helping each other to succeed rather than getting together and looking at each other's belly buttons and going, yeah, praise God. No, I'm not struggling with that sin anymore. No, I'm good. God delivered me. Liar! You <laughs> get open with each other. Man, I am struggling. And then when somebody says that, we need to go, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. Because somebody might say something, you go, what? <laughs> like the three guys in a boat, they're out fishing, and they're all, they're all pastors. Pastors are you know, known for not having anyone to share with. They're three different pastors, and they're fishing. And finally one says, listen guys, we're... We're all leaders. We're all pastors here. And we, I know that you probably don't have anyone in your life to share. And I just feel I, I'm comfortable with you. And I, I'm, I'm really struggling with pornography. And I just, man, I'm just, I can't overcome this thing. And I'm you know, dealing with it all the time. And it's, playing, it's, it's ruining my marriage. And, but I'm here. I'm a pastor. And I'm, I'm just really struggling. And, and, and the other guy said, oh, well, we'll pray for you. And the other guy says, well, you know, I'll pray for you because I'm, I'm going through a trial too. He says, our finances have been really, really, really bad. And so I've had to dip into the offerings at the church to pay my personal bills. And every once in a while, I'm just taking some of that, that money and I know I've got to stop, but I just don't know what to do and I don't have any faith. And, and wow, I'll pray for you. And the other guy says, man, that's so good to hear that because I struggle with gossip and I can't wait to get back to town. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Yeah, it's not the way we need to be. You know, we need to be in it together, helping and encouraging each other. We need to be in the Word of God. Let the Word of God be inside of us. Do we have a biblical doctrine? Do we have a biblical spirituality? Do we have a biblical worldview? I'm going to read a, a, a whole bunch of scriptures and see if this can tie together as, a, as kind of a closing paragraph. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and by God's Word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by watered. So don't be carried away by all kinds of other strange teachings because we don't use deception and we don't distort the Word of God. Instead, we let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. And if anyone obeys His words, God's love is truly made complete in him, and he's blessed. And rather, those who hear the Word of God and obey it, he's blessed because he hears the Word of God and obeys it. Because man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the Word of God for us. It created all things. It holds all things together. It judges. It penetrates. It frees us from sin. And we're blessed if we obey it. Let's pray. God, I'm convicted. I'm convicted even when I go for a walk and I see a nice house and say, why can't I own something? God, in the, the, the hard days, I'm not satisfied with the things that You've given me. God, I'm convicted because sometimes I think I deserve riches or I deserve things because those around me have them. God, I'm convicted when out of my own mouth I say things and I realize that that's not a biblical, but that's just my own bent, my own feelings. God, I pray that You would begin to press into me the Word as I would press into the Word. I pray that my life would exemplify the things that You want it to exemplify. God, I know that we can't do this on our own. Lord, I thank You that I have a group that we can meet together and we can pray for one another, but I pray that we would, I'd be able to take that step up and become more open with. God, I pray for everybody in here that they would find a believer who will help hold them accountable and that they can confess their sins to one another. They can overcome sin together and they can walk through the tragedies and the difficulties together. Father, I thank You that sticking my tongue out, getting something from Jonathan wasn't bad, but I pray God help me to not hang around other people so much that their sin rubs off on me just as easily. Or a bad attitude would rub off on me. Or an ungodly thinking. God, You've sent us into the world to be Your light. God, I pray that we are filled, strengthened, and illuminated by Your Word and by fellowship daily, house to house, before we go into the world so that our light shines to them and not the other way around. We can't do it without You. And we thank You that You made a provision for the Holy Spirit to empower us. To help us to say no to ungodliness. God, we thank You that You've given us authority over the enemy and power over the enemy. God, I pray that we would live more and more godly. 
that we would look different than the world. But we'd be marked by our love for one another, our love for you, and our care and compassion for the unsaved. Help us this day. Empower us. Encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen.